continuing our series this morning in Chasing Daylight. Today we will talk about uncertainty. John 9, that we've repeated over and over the last few weeks, and we can't repeat it enough. As long as it is day, we must do the work, the works of Him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Urgency. Something to get done, and it's time to get it done. First week we talked about choices. Last week we talked about initiation, or initiation defined as Initiate is defined as recognize and do what needs to be done even before being asked to do it. That is some of the simple ways to look at it, but sometimes we have been asked to do it. Most of the time as Christians, the believers, we know God has put it on our heart, and it's time to do it. As Nike would say, as we said last week, just do it. That never gets old. It just never gets old. But to keep from initiating things, there are times that we use these terms like this. I don't even know where to start. Or I just don't have the time. And as we talked about last week, John Acuff in his book Quitter talks about the fact you have time for the most important things. You just have to figure out how to get there. You do have time. There's no more time coming. There's no more like 26-hour days coming, okay? That's just not coming. There's not 14 months in a year coming. So it's the things that are most important. It's now. You have that time. But we have a challenge in initiating or moving forward because we're filled with a lot of things like we're afraid to do the wrong thing and find out later we ended up at the wrong place. And I realize some of these are legitimate questions and legitimate things, but there comes a point, as we talked about last week, where it's now excuses. It is now paralyzing us. It's keeping us from moving. It actually is a cover-up if we're not careful many times for laziness or fear. It's moved past that point of time to move. And now you keep reaching back going, oh, no, I'll just hang on to that. Today we're going to talk about uncertainty. And one of the challenges most of us have moving just about with anything at times is we want guaranteed success. We don't want to speak to someone unless we know it will go well. Uh, It depends on what it is. We don't want to speak up. We don't want to move even if God's nudging us unless we're certain. There is uncertainty. There are things in life that, that are guarantees that are pretty well certain. I'm, I'm a few of them that I, that I just noted. I mean, there's a lot of them, but one of them is uh, you should never say anything to a woman that even remotely suggests that you think she's pregnant unless she's actually giving birth at that moment. <laughs> just shouldn't do it. Just shouldn't do it. I think it's certain that you should never take a sleeping pill and a laxative in the same night. I, I'm confident. Those are things in life that I'm real certain about, that are confident of, that you sh- that's just my thought. You do with it what you wish. But the reality is uncertainty surrounds us as human beings. 
Your drive home today is surrounded with uncertainty. It just is. There's things you're certain of, but there are things that you don't know. But one of the big challenges for Christians as believers is is that we're asked to take on big risk. We're asked to take on significant uncertainties at times. We're asked to give all for Christ. So boy, howdy, it kind of moves us at a whole different category of uncertainty. Because our lives are actually, if we are chasing after God, is filled with, we actually look at life through a lens of what if. Is God calling? So that means there's uncertainty to that because faith carries that. We get trapped. And maybe this is you this morning. You want certainty, quick answers, and a guarantee. But let me tell you, if you especially as a believer, if you insist on these three things, you're going to miss out on God's great adventure. You just are. Because the search for quick, guaranteed, and certain results will almost always undermine your willingness to move. It just will. And for many of us, this is, the, this is a crazy, especially as believers, for many of us, we're not careful the very blessings of God now become the anchor that keeps us from moving let me say it again the very blessings of God keep us from moving when we had nothing to lose we were willing to risk everything but now that we have something it could be material but it's not always material it could be reputation it could be before when you, when you accepted Christ, you were the only one in your family. You, you, didn't even have, you, didn't, you weren't married. You didn't have children. But now you're asking me to step out on faith and go do that. But I've got my kids. I can't. Don't you see my business now that you've blessed me with? I can't risk my reputation in the community that people believe that I'm a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ and I stand on that and I make, I make decisions based. I can't do that in, what if I lose my... You fill in the blank. So when we don't have anything to lose, we're willing to risk what? Everything. It's when we begin to have stuff, and that stuff doesn't mean, again, things that you can drive or things that you can you know, eat or things that you can live in. It could be other things. This includes teenagers. If you're in here today or college or, or young adults, it's tough. I get it. To stand on values and principles. I get it. McManus, or McManus, and again, we've shared with you the book we're basing this series on. Is, and of course, we're going way outside of it as far as what he's writing, but some of his quotes in the book Chasing Daylight. He says, there's a tragic reality that many times the very things that God blesses us with become the obstacles to seizing our divine moments. Or, he says, our wealth and abundance of human resources have positioned us to accept a paradigm that provision precedes vision. That, hear what I said, that provision precedes vision. 
In other words, if God wants me to do it, he'll give me enough money. If God wants me to do it, I'll know all my gifts and I'll be trained in it and I'll be ready to step out on faith. That's what that means. So we never, what? As McManus would go ahead and say, this has been the foundation of a no-risk, fear-based, apathetic faith. First Samuel 14 gives us a glimpse of one man who didn't operate that way. McManus talks about it as the Jonathan factor. We may come back to it off and on over throughout this series. But, but it's Jonathan, the son of Saul. And even though he's the son of King Saul, as we'll read here in just a minute, he's most remembered, I, would, I think, by most to be the, to be the king, uh, to be the, by befriending, becoming the best friend of King David, the to-be king. But Jonathan was also known as an incredible soldier who possessed an amazing faith in the Lord. We're going to read here in just a moment out of 1 Samuel 14, and you can turn, start turning there if you want to, but let me kind of set it up first for you before we get there because it'll make a difference. But it begins with Israel hiding among the, the caves of Jibeah after having been defeated in a battle by the Philistines. Now they had won some battles, they'd won some small battles, and Jonathan had, and and uh, they had beat the Amorites. And so King Saul foolishly declares war against the Philistines. And the word says in, in, in 1 Samuel 13, they were numerous as the sand. And Saul's soldiers knew they were overmatched, says they were quaked with fear. Now, I don't know what all that means exactly, but quaked, I think you can kind of figure that an earthquake. I mean, it's just they're trembling with fear. But Saul's arrogance and disobedience, well, that has them go into battle against a superior enemy without seeking the Lord's will. And unwilling to wait for the prophet Samuel, and you can go back and read this on your own, Saul foolishly offered a sacrifice. But instead of divine blessing, when Samuel gets there, he rebukes Saul. And he says, you have not kept the command of the Lord. Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And we know who that ultimately is. It is King David, or you will be King David. So Israel's army retreats to the caves. And while Saul's army is hiding, and I'm going to read this in a minute. I don't know if it's in here, but I think it is. I wrote this down. I thought, boy, this is a sermon for another day. But I just want to highlight it here and then I'll leave it alone for the day. While they were hiding in the cave, the caves, the Philistine enemy, the enemy, if you will, here, the Philistines were raiding the neighboring villages and confiscating all weapons. While they were hiding. While the chosen ones were what? Hiding. While the ones who could be anointed were what? Hiding. The enemy, in this case the Philistines, the enemy is raiding, it's plundering, it's raiding all those who are innocent, the vulnerable, it's raiding them. Again, you think I could preach a sermon on that? I think so. We just won't do it today. But I don't want you to miss it. While the anointed were hiding. 
Let me read this. Quite a bit of scripture. You can look it up if you want to. If you've got the first. Actually, I'm going to start in 1 Samuel 13. And there's just two verses there I'm going to read. But, but in 22, 23. And then I am going to do the best I can to pronounce every one of these words with the southern twang that I have. So we will see how this works. Okay, but uh, don't, get, don't make that a stumbling block for yourselves, okay? Please don't. So on the day, and you don't know how to pronounce it either, so I could just say just about anything. <laughs> so I, that's what's funny about it is you probably don't either. But anyway, we'll, we'll, there are a few in here, Mike, but most of you won't. So here we go. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier after Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now, a detachment of Philistines had gone out to, out, out to the pass at Mishmash. That's in, I, when I read that, I thought, Mishmash. It's, it's the first thing that came up, Mishmash, I was taking a bath. A long bath. It was like that. I don't know why that came to my head. But anyway, I have no eye. Splish splash. One day, Jonathan's son of Saul said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go, to, go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree and Magron, where with him were about 600 men. Among them were Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, and he, he was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub. There you go. Son of Phunaeus. <clears throat> How am I doing? How am I doing, guys? You doing all right? Uh, the son of Eli. That was an easy one. Uh, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other uh, Sinai, and one cliff stood to the north towards Mishmash, the other to the south uh, <clears throat> towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. John said, come on then. Uh, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait, and wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they are hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted down to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines <clears throat> fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed, and, and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan's armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area, about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field, those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was panic sent by Jonathan, his armor bearer. No, it was panic sent by God. Saul's outlooks, uh, Saul's outlooks at Jabia and, Jim, and Benjamin saw the army melting down in all directions. Then Saul said to, men, to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who is left. When, <laughs> I like that. Muster the forces, let's just see who's still here. <laughs> okay, and you picture that. When they, he didn't know. He didn't know at that point. Who, who's still with us? When they did it, when they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not, who was, who were not there. 
Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of the Philistines camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites. Get this, they switched teams in the middle of this. Got any fair weather <laughs> okay. fans here who were with Saul and Jonathan? All the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard of the Philistines. They heard the Philistines were on the run. They joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. That's a good story. But it doesn't start out good. <laughs> it just doesn't start out good. They had two weapons left. You get that? They had two weapons left. Jonathan and Saul had a weapon. Everybody else had tried to make things, weapons out of tools that they found. I'm not saying it was wrong, but they were also quaking with fear, right? We know that. So two weapons. But in this middle of this defeated, have you ever been around a group like this? Because we could go all the way back to, we could go and, and read about Joshua and Caleb too, but we won't do that. But can you imagine being in the midst, in the midst of a group of people who are defeated, depressed, and everything around you is this, this discouraging circumstance? Jonathan made a choice to do what? Search for God. Please don't skip over that. He says to his army, let's go look for God. Because I don't think he's here hiding with us. Scripture says there that one day, Jonathan said, let us go look for the Lord. Just one day. It doesn't say it's a special religious holiday. It just says it's one ordinary day. That Jonathan had enough. He just had enough. Psalms 118.24, I love this. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it this day. This is the day. I'm not looking for a religious holiday. I'm not looking for next week. This day, one day, is the day. This day is a precious gift. This day I'm going to try to maximize. It may not be historic and nobody write books about it, but this day is significant. Because for some of you, it's just one ordinary day that God, Christ transformed your life. No religious holiday, no big party, no nothing. Nobody set it aside. Nobody saw, you didn't necessarily see it coming, but just one day. 
with all the uncertainty in the world of what it meant to accept Christ as your Savior, with all that uncertainty, because I tell people, I had a huge uncertainty at 26 years old to come to Christ because the only Kurt Gentry I knew up to that point was the one I had lived for 26 years. The only one I knew. So the uncertainty of giving my life over to the creator of the universe, there was a ton of it. Let me ask you a question. Because when you look at Joshua, I mean Jonathan's life here, Jonathan decided that his life was too precious to waste hiding in the caves or sitting under a pomegranate tree. See, Jonathan wasn't choosing to die or like suicidal, but he was choosing how he was going to live. Can I say that again? Jonathan wasn't suicidal and said, let's go over there with some kind of suicide bomber. That's not what he was. He was choosing to live a different way. When do you make necessary changes in your life? Oh, you've been prompted, I'm going to guess, as a believer or someone who doesn't believe in Christ at this point. What causes you to make the necessary critical changes that need to be made? Because Jonathan realized there was uncertain cost of going and making this, this perhaps God will be with us. John knew there, Jonathan knew there was uncertain cost, but the reality is he knew there was significant cost, probably greater if he stayed where he was. See, some of you realize that, hey, if I make these changes in my life, there is a cost attached to it. But let me say this to you, friends. There is a cost attached to it either way. You need to figure out which one's costing the most. And if it was only you paying the price, that would be okay. If you, but the problem is you've got people connected to you. Because you're not willing to pay the price of movement. You're not willing to pay the price because you're uncertain. Other people are stuck that are depending on you to move. What you have to do, I believe, is you've got to realize that where I am right now is unacceptable. I'm not sure all the answers to that, but I know this is not it. I, I don't understand all that's in front of me. I just know where I am presently and what's just been behind me is not acceptable. That I know. Jonathan realized that God was not in the cave where they were hiding. He was on the mountain. I love Psalm 121.12. I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. I lift my eyes. I go to the mountain. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a cave hider or a mountain climber? Are you a cave hider or a mountain climber? Jonathan did the unthinkable to, the unthinkable to accomplish the impossible. Jonathan was moved by divine impulse, by divine impression. Someone says, well, did God speak 
you know, did God speak a word to him? We don't know that. Is it, have you done things for the kingdom that you didn't get a letter in the mail? You didn't hear an audible voice? I heard this years ago about an old country preacher went knocking on the door of a guy, <clears throat> an old farmer, knocks on the door, and the farm, old farmer opens the door, and he says, <clears throat> and the preacher says, Sir, uh, call him by name, he says, The Lord spoke to me and said to come and talk to you today. And the guy asked him, he said, Well, preacher, I always wondered this. When God spoke to you, was it out loud? No preachers stopped for a second. He said, no, it was louder than that. This divine impression. See, Jonathan knew that the victory ultimately was the Lord's. It wasn't his. It wasn't him. If he goes do this, is he going to get accolades? Now, of course, we're reading about it however many centuries later. But he says, we're going to see, and the Lord has given them into our hands. But he also understands he has a role to play in this. He's going to have to step out of the camp, right? He's going to have to crawl up the mountain. Then we'll look for signs if God's saying do this or that. But I'm going to have to leave where I am. And perhaps, I love that, and perhaps, the Lord will act on our behalf. How do you like that? I don't think this implies doubt here on Jonathan's part. He just says, if victory comes, it's dependent on the Lord. You know, I look at Acts 15, 28, and the Jerusalem Council, and they were making decisions early in the church's history and I love what they say in Acts, Acts 15, 28. It says, and here's the councils making these significant decisions that will impact the church from now on. And they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. It seemed good. That's all they had. Sometimes that's all you have. We started a church of an existing church that would have been so faithful and so good for all those years, but the Lord led us, the people here and people who have come, to make a decision five years ago, six years ago. You know, at 52 years old, making that decision, I wasn't certain who was going to be here except for my wife, Jan. That was it. I didn't know that any of my kids would be here. I didn't know that any of you would be here. I didn't know that any of the people who had been previously at renovation would be here. I didn't know. I just knew what God had impressed on me and what he put in my heart to do. And we've been trying to do that. But I didn't know. But it's great to have armor bearers around you. And we're just going to we'll talk about it in just a second, about armor bearer. I mean, Josiah told me one time, and Josiah, I know I'm throwing you under the bus here, but Josiah, because he may change his mind someday. But, but, but he told me this. He said, Kurt, there's a greater chance of Jan leaving you than me leaving you. That's an armor bearer, right? That's an armor bearer. Now, I hope he, you know, hope the odds of Jan staying with me are really high in that sense, but and I hope Josiah's faith is not weak and he's saying that. But Jonathan had faith that God would guide their steps. If, if they would acknowledge him in all his ways, in all their ways, seek him for direction, 
and wholeheartedly follow after him. McManus goes on to say in his book, he said, we need to realize that God may actually allow for an increase in uncertainty and leverage all the odds against you just so that you will know in the end that it wasn't your gifts but his power through your gifts that fulfilled his purpose in your life. How do you like that? He may leverage them against you. How do you like that phrase? goes on to say, isn't it ironic that we run to God to keep us safe when he calls us to a dangerous faith? I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, your central metaphor of our faith is a, is a, uh, a symbol of execution. It's like wearing a, you know, a, a needle for lethal injection around your neck or an electric chair. That should not signify a safe faith, right? <laughs> that would be the first clue. He said, he will shake loose everything in which we place our trust outside of him and teach us how to thrive in a future unknown. Jonathan Jonathan has this unwavering capacity to believe in God. But let me say this. It is a character issue, but it's not our character as much as we believe in God's character that he will do what he says he will do, that he he can do the impossible. Do I believe that? Not in me even though he needs to change my character and continue to work on me, but i got to trust in God's character to do what only he can do. But Jonathan was surrounded by people with excuses, right? They had legitimate reasons to have excuses. I know people who have legitimate reasons to have excuses to not move. I mean, they had them in the sense that they were overwhelmed in obviously number and power of the other army, and they had no weapons to speak of. They also had an arrogant and disobedient leader. And everybody around them was quaking with fear. You know, sometimes your best choice in life is to make some new friends. The reason why you haven't moved is you're not surrounded by the people who will help you get moving. You know, you've heard me say this over and over over the years. I will minister to anyone. Anyone. But I choose my friends very, very carefully. Because my friends have not only influence on me, but they have influence on anybody that's closely associated to me. And I realize we don't need to surround ourselves with just yes people, but we want to surround ourselves with people who at least start with yes. We need people who are willing to speak truth into our lives, not just go blindly following after us. No, that's not what we're... We're not saying people need to blindly just go do whatever. I don't think that's what this armor bearer is doing. You know why I think this armor bearer is moving here? And we'll talk about it in just a second. Is because he not only had watched Jonathan up to this point and trusted him, he trusted in the God that Jonathan trusted. But there are times we need people around us to build us up, not tear us down. To inspire us with confidence, not inflict criticism. To encourage bold faith, not discourage taking risk.
and who support us heart and soul. Because see, if I'm, and if you would imagine just for a moment, Manus talks about this, imagine for a moment if you're Jonathan's armor bearer, he wakes you up from a deep sleep and tells you to follow him through a series of cliffs for the purpose of engaging the Philistines in battle. In his invitation, he explains that his best hope is that God might help us. You know what I'm going to do, what you're going to do, most of us are going to do? Wake me up again when you know. Just wake me up then. Jonathan's armor bearer says, I will, I am with you heart and soul. We all need people like that in our lives. Jay Strack says in his book, Above and Beyond, he says, who you associate with is one of the few decisions over which you have 100% control. Pray for godly, motivated friendships and take time to develop them. Look for those with that foxhole mentality. You know, the last thing you want to do is go to war and figure out you're surrounded by a bunch of atheists. That's one thing for sure in the sense of the foxhole mentality. You want to know that those people in there uh, that, that, are, that are bought in, you want to know that they've got your back, that they're covering you, and they're doing it for the right reasons and the right direction. One of the reasons we are trying so hard at renovation, I know we've taken a little time off working through the whole uncommon and all that kind of stuff, but we're getting back on track on that. But one of the things we want to be able to do is create an environment here with God's help, we believe is something where, at least I do, that we're called to do is create an environment where if you wanted to jump on and you wanted to start running in the right direction after God, it would be real easy to find people who are already running that direction. You wouldn't have to just search everywhere. There are, we already know where they are. They're already running. And we're just going to ask you to come along beside them. You may be a little behind, but it's all right. They're running the same direction, though. They're, they're going to bring you along. I mean, there are things in our lives we realize that are uncertain. I, I'm so thankful, and I know this saying sounds funny. I'm so thankful Jan wasn't certain about me when she married me. Or she would have never married me. I mean, I became unemployed two weeks after we got married. We lived in a trailer house in her mom and dad's front yard. And she'll tell you to this day, she questioned if she had messed up big time. Because the first six months, that's kind of where I operated. But thankfully, 14, 16 months, whatever it was into our marriage, 14 months, I accepted Christ as my Savior and it changed everything. I began to lead the way I was supposed to lead. I began to drop off things that were chains that were hanging on that I, not all of them yet, but a lot of them. If Jan and I had waited until we were certain we knew how to raise kids, we'd have never had any kids. <laughs> I'll say this about having kids. And the uncertainty that goes with it. I am not certain, and Noah's not certain, still not totally certain, what my kids will choose. I don't know all that. I'm not prophetic, and I don't know all those things. But I can tell you what I can choose is to live a life of faith in front of them, a life of adventure, a life of willing to go when God tells me to go, 
a life of willing to go and, and, and say and speak and do the things that God's calling me to do, even though I may miss it sometimes. I know I can choose that. And what I always wanted, and Jan and I talked about it years ago, if our kids are going to walk away from their faith, they're going to walk away from this faith, they're going to know exactly what they're walking away from. They're going to they're be accepting something that's mediocre. They're going to be accepting something that's really boring if you look at it because the life we want to live is a life of adventure, a life of chasing after God in all things. They're going to know what they walk away from. That I can choose. I can't choose for them, but I can choose that in front of them. All this has uncertainty around it, friend. All of it does. But when you're chasing after God, and put him in the, in, in the crosshairs of following after what he's called you to do. There are times you will be uncertain, and there may be times when you get to heaven, God goes, that was not what I was saying. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a feeling that will happen someday. But what I am convinced of is, and you, you could, and he may tell me wrong, is if I was chasing after, after him with all my heart, my soul, and my strength, I think that's what he's after is a man after his heart. And move. Be willing to move. And not operate from fear. Ask Josiah and him to come as we close. If not in this life, what life? And those of you who are new to Christianity or maybe not a believer or whatever, just so you know, we don't believe in reincarnation. There's not another life coming that you can get it cleared up in. That you can just, just choose to do better in. And as I shared last week, the Maria Robinson quote, even though I cannot go back, and change everything that's been written up to this point about my life. But I can start today and write a new ending. I can start this day and begin to write differently. Begin to do it differently. And the ending does not have to be what's been being whispered in your ear, ears maybe for years. You've been hanging out with the wrong people. You've been in the cave. My question to you today, are you going to be a cave hider or a mountain climber? I look to the mountain. My hope is there. The maker of heaven and earth. I know I get wound up up here and I, I know all that. But folks, I just, I just want the best for you. I love you. And some of you are living so far below the potential God has for you. Because either you, you can't get yourself out of the way, that's one. You've just decided that you're your, your chains that you hang on, you literally hang on to them intentionally. Because it excuses you. For some of you, just your excuses are all that I mentioned earlier. I don't know where to start. What if I go the wrong way? I'm just going to say, some of you, it's just time to move. <laughs> it's just time to move. And let God figure the rest of it out.